It's Monday, July 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has named another Republican to the select committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riots. In addition to Representative Liz Cheney, Pelosi has added Representative Adam Kinzinger, another critic of former President Trump. This comes after Pelosi rejected two other picks from Kevin McCarthy. It seems that it will be incredibly difficult to produce a report that does not seem partisan. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this, how the surge of coronavirus cases in the unvaccinated will impact the Biden agenda, and the CIA is now looking into Havana Syndrome cases. Next, the debate about marijuana and sports was reignited recently when Shikari Richardson was denied a spot in the Tokyo Olympics after testing positive. But what does the science say? Does it actually help? The short answer is no. There's no scientific evidence that it can make athletes bigger, stronger, or faster. In fact, it can increase heart rates and is especially damaging to the lungs of smoked. However, elite athletes and even regular people say that it can help them recover from tough workouts, reduce pain, improve sleep, and most of all, calm nerves and alleviate anxiety. Anahad O'Connor, health reporter at the New York Times, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I wanted to appoint the three, uh, three of the members that uh, Leader McCarthy suggested, uh, but he withdrew their names. The two that I would not appoint are people who would uh, jeopardize the integrity of the investigation. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Let's start off by talking about House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's just added Republican Representative Adam Kinzinger to the select committee that's going to be investigating the January 6th Capitol riots. You know, this comes after she rejected two of Representative Kevin McCarthy's picks for this. That was uh, Representative Jim Banks and Jim Jordan, who are Trump supporters. You know, they they would have muddied a lot of the waters with when it came to this investigation here. Uh, so now we have Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. That's right. So we saw last week these two Republicans of the five that Kevin McCarthy got to select that were rejected by Pelosi. McCarthy then pulled his people with these new openings. She went on a Sunday show Sunday morning and said, oh, she could appoint Adam Kinzinger. And before Sunday was over, she had done so. So he is now on this committee to investigate the riot and the attack at the U.S. Capitol. I think the thing that's key here is that we see McCarthy in response to this appointment really trying to undermine the validity and the credibility of this committee, saying that it won't be a serious investigation because Pelosi is adding people who agree with her. And Pelosi, and really what is unprecedented to have the head of one party adding people to a committee of members of other parties, doing everything she can to try to keep some air of credibility around this. She really wants there to be definitive answers that come out of this and for the public to view it as something that is definitive and and not um, further fueling conspiracy theories. I know that's what Nancy Pelosi wants, but is that even going to be possible? I mean, is it's going to be so tough for this to whatever they come out with, whatever report ends up being made, um, that it's not going to be spun as some partisan attack against uh, the former president, things like that. I, I mean, will I mean, will we get anything substantive out of it? I think it's going to be very difficult. I think that any attempts to be treated as sort of bipartisan are very difficult at this point. And look, she was balancing, do you have the full complement of Republicans that you think will sort of quiet 
criticisms that it's it's mm-hmm. just a partisan exercise with guys that, you know, one of them suggested that it was Pelosi's fault that the Capitol had been breached <laughs> right. after he was not um, included. So how do you balance that? And I think that uh, it, it may be an impossible task. And that's my next question. So that was Representative Jim Jordan saying it was Pelosi's fault uh, because she controls the Capitol Police. So what is the scope of the actual investigation? Obviously, looking into what happened with Capitol Police and, and the security issues there. But is it also going to focus on President Trump's involvement and in, in stirring up the crowd and all? Yeah, I think it's going to be widespread enough that it will include Trump's role. It'll include other Republicans' role. It'll include looking at the rally that occurred down the street that then moved some of those people we know moved over to the Capitol. I think it is wide spread enough that it's going to include all of those things. And look, anything that comes out, it's going to be about Trump's supporters. It's going to be about people who showed up to support him, no matter how wide or narrow you make it, because that's who was there that day. And Republicans know that that's the case. And that's that's one of their big concerns. What do we make of Liz Cheney's involvement? She was one of the first named to this. She, She jumped on board right away. Obviously, she couldn't be further ideologically from Democrats. But when it comes to this, Democrats have already applauded her, saying she's uh, there at all the meetings. Uh, every She's very into getting to the bottom of this, getting to the truth of all of the matter. So, uh, you know, she's she's her voice is going to be amplified throughout all of this. Congress has struggled to find things where they can put aside their ideological divisions and work at a common cause. And this has become one of them for these two Republicans. You're right. There's not much Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson, the chair, the Democratic chair of this committee, are going to agree with on policy, but very complimentary of her role so far in this in this commission yeah. committee saying that, you know, she's being fair and, and wants to get to answers as much as they do. Let's move on to the coronavirus pandemic. We're seeing a surge of cases, mostly in unvaccinated people. The Delta variant has everybody pretty worried about another this big surge coming around, you know, something that could get out of hand. And the White House, I know, is worried about some of that stuff. Prediction models are saying that it's not going to be good in the fall. October could look pretty bad. But what does all this do for President Biden's agenda? You know, we have stimulus and infrastructure deals trying to be worked on, but if they have to devote a lot of time and energy to the pandemic, how does that impact them? So far, the White House has tried to tout the president's response to the pandemic. He's been given pretty good marks from the public at large, and they have been complimentary of how he's handling it. But you're right, they're looking at this second surge. And I think we're going to see really uneven experiences this time. We saw that the last time areas that surged worse than others, but some places are just so much more vaccinated than others. And you saw Alabama Governor Ivey saying that this is really on the unvaccinated and the frustration in her state about how low their vaccination rates are. A place like Washington, where more than 70% are vaccinated, it's going to have a very different fall, I think, than a place like Alabama or Mississippi or my home state of Louisiana, which have such low vaccination rates. Yeah, that frustration is really starting to set in with the unvaccinated group, as you mentioned, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey. And she said, you know, they're the ones that are letting us down. I think they have a vaccination rate of about 39 percent, almost 40 percent. But she's frustrated and she, you know, reporters were saying, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to get more people vaccinated? She's like, I don't know. I can't force people to take care of themselves. Uh, and, and this is what uh, governors across the country are grappling with. And the, and the Biden administration, too, is how to increase those vaccination rates when so many people are hesitant. Governor Ivy sounded a bit like a frustrated mom that couldn't get um, her kids to do what they wanted. But I think that that is part of the answer. It's about family members, right? 
And I think that we're hearing that a little bit more. There was some push that, you know, people aren't going to get vaccinated because they hear a politician tell them to get vaccinated. They're going to get vaccinated because they hear their own doctors tell them to get vaccinated. But it's also about family members. People are going to get vaccinated because their moms and their sisters and their brothers and their uncles and their aunts get vaccinated and tell them to also get vaccinated. And so I think that that's what we're going to see a bigger push about. Like, it's now your duty to tell your family member, go ahead, it's time. Well, let's hope that works on that front. I wanted to end off this week with uh, some news of Havana syndrome. This is something we've been hearing about since I believe 2016, uh, maybe a little earlier. Uh, There's now as many as 200 Americans that have come forward to describe these symptoms that the government think could be the result of directed energy attacks. They're neurological symptoms, dizziness, concussion-like symptoms. Diplomats, CIA officers, Defense Department workers, and their families have been experiencing this uh, kind of all over the world right now. Yeah, we now know that maybe as many as 200 people have experienced these symptoms, what you just described as this Havana syndrome. And the CIA is going to launch an internal review looking at how they handled this and whether they handled this properly when it started. Lots of questions about how it unfolded, whether or not they were responsive enough, um, and whether or not they might have missed some things that would allow them to have gotten more quickly to the bottom of what's causing this. But it still is a bit of a mystery. There are still a lot of people suffering with these symptoms and these effects long term that don't know what caused them and and they can't get rid of them. Yeah, the House Intelligence Committee is also looking into this uh, for the same reasons that you said, but also uh, because maybe there wasn't enough attention given to them. These people didn't get the adequate medical attention that they needed also. It largely does remain a mystery, but Russia seems like a possible perpetrator in this, at least from the some of the government reports we've gotten so far. That's right. I mean, this um, seems like it could have been some type of apparatus, some type of technology, um, something gone wrong, or maybe some type of direct attack. We just don't know um, that has caused this. And so uh, the Russians have been repeatedly pointed to in government reports as being behind this. And I think that that's going to be a part of this inquiry is trying to get to the root of who is to blame for this um, and what has clearly been directed at U.S. intelligence um, and and diplomats, but also, I believe, Canadians as well um, and some people who might not have um, been targets but maybe been unintentionally hit uh, given the, the product of where they were. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Or just, I want to take responsibility for my actions. I know what I did. I know what I'm supposed to do. Um, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm allowed not to do. And I still made that decision. Joining us now is Anahad O'Connor, health reporter at the New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Anahad. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. There's been a lot of conversation about marijuana in sports recently. Obviously, the big story has to do with Shikari Richardson who, uh, as, a, as an American track star, she was uh, denied a spot in the Tokyo Olympics after she tested positive for marijuana. She, uh, she said that she smoked after learning uh, of the death of her biological mother. It kind of triggered her. She was, uh, you know, nerves and anxiety, and it was a way for her to cope. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, that's against the rules, and uh, she wasn't, she's not going to be able to run in the Olympics uh, that are coming up pretty soon. But it's kind of reignited this conversation that's been going on for a while now about marijuana and athletes. Uh, Anahad, you looked into this uh, to see, you know, is 
cannabis a performance enhancer. And kind of the shorthand is, is not really, but people do use it for pain management and other things. So Anna, help us walk through this. What, what are we looking at here? Yeah, so it's a great question. And I think, um, you know, if you really look at the literature and interview folks on, on sort of both sides and, and scientists and advocates for it, I think the, the question really comes down to, you know, what do you consider a performance-enhancing drug? You know, if we're looking at traditional metrics of performance, things like strength, endurance, um, you know, precision, um, you know, those, you know, aerobic capacity, those sorts of um, measures of, um, uh, you know, athletic performance, then, you know, there's not a ton of research on the effects of marijuana, but generally what they find is that there's either no evidence, um, there's no benefit, or marijuana makes uh, these things worse. But then, you know, there's obviously a lot of athletes, um, and, the, and the data supports this, that are using um, cannabis in different forms, um, and they say that they use it around the time they exercise, they like to use it combined with exercise or sports, and they're getting benefits out of it that are a little bit harder to measure, but things like reducing their anxiety, or making their sport or exercise more enjoyable, decreasing, you know, the pain that they might experience, helping them sleep better, helping them recover, those sorts of things. There's some clear health concerns when it comes to marijuana. Most of it has to do when you're smoking it. It's definitely not good for the lungs uh, in the long run. So, I mean, that's one, one part of it, though, at least. Absolutely. I mean, that's the other thing. And, you know, I definitely wanted to be clear with our readers that I'm not, you know, endorsing it, uh, the use of marijuana for sports. Right. Um, and that people who do use it for exercise, you know, there are some uh, health concerns to consider. As you mentioned, you know, the lung effects are a big one. Um, there's definite, definitely evidence that it can cause some lung damage. That's according to the American Lung Association. They're very, you know, clear about that. Um, you know, and it's like you said, especially people who are smoking it. Um, and then also the other thing is, you know, you compare cigarettes to uh, marijuana smoke. Um, typically, when people smoke marijuana, they hold it in their lungs for longer. Um, and there are a lot of the same, you know, toxins and carcinogens um, and tar in marijuana smoke that's in cigarette smoke. And uh, you're holding it in your lungs typically for longer so you can get more exposure to those toxins. So if you're smoking it, um, that's definitely a health concern for anyone, but especially for someone who depends on their aerobic capacity as an athlete. One of the things when it comes to marijuana that we've been hearing for a long time is that it's still classified as a schedule one drug. So really to do any studies with it, clinical trials, all of that, it's really tough to do. So it's really tough to get a lot of data on marijuana, how it affects the body, all that because of that classification. Yeah. And that's one of the real you know, downsides and unfortunate aspects of this is, um, you know, obviously lawmakers have their point of view, but there are a lot of people who are using um, cannabis for various reasons. Um, and yet, you know, the sort of research that we can do on it is, is limited. I talked to one researcher at the University of Colorado Boulder, um, Dr. Angela Bryan, and she, you know, her whole mission um, in public health is to try to find ways to help people exercise and take better care of their health. And she, you know, did a survey of, of cannabis users and found that so many of them were exercising um, and that sort of led her to want to study, you know, why are so many people using uh, marijuana to exercise? And yet, you know, she has a lot of trouble trying to, you know, study this. Typically, as a researcher, when you want to study something like this substance, you would bring people into the lab, you would have them consume it, put them on a treadmill and see how it affects their performance, have them do strength, you know, or test of their strengths and that kind of thing. But 
you know, she's because of the laws, she's not allowed to have it on campus. She can't instruct people to use it. You know, she can't give them any sort of um, instructions that would, you know, end up in them potentially using it at her behest. So they at the University of Colorado had to actually um, develop a mobile lab um, in order to study this um, people using cannabis. And what they do is people tell them when they're going to use, you know, cannabis. So they have to drive the lab to their home while these people consume it in the privacy of their homes. Right. Then they come out into the, into the van and they, you know, run the blunt test on them. Uh, then they go back inside and then they have to come to the lab um, at another time on a day when they've used marijuana and then they get on the treadmill and then, you know, on a day when they haven't used it, they have to come back to the lab, you know, to get on the treadmill and do these tests and, you know, blood tests and all these things. So it's, there's all these hurdles involved that make it very difficult to study, you know, the relationship between cannabis and exercise and sports and, and health in general. Yeah. And, and still through all of this, you know, from, uh, you know, people just working out regularly to all, all the way to elite athletes, you know, some of these workouts, you know, smoking and then going and, and having your workout have become more popular. And, and as we kind of mentioned earlier on, you know, the majority of people say it helps them either with pain or to sleep better, get, get better rest and recover from those workouts. Uh, and then, and as you mentioned too, calming them down, the anxiety of like performance anxiety helps them a lot with that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, there's definitely, as we mentioned earlier, there's, you know, some concerns when you use uh, marijuana about its effects on the lungs. And obviously there've also been a lot of studies showing that it can imp- impair your you know, judgment and decision-making ability, your reaction time. Um, so that's an issue if you're, you know, playing baseball, for example, you got a you know fastball coming at you, this might affect your reaction time. But um, there are so many athletes, and this was something that really struck me um, when I was reporting on this, you know, who say that when they use um, cannabis um, for their exercise or sport, it really helps them concentrate on their sport. It helps them, you know, um, become dialed in, you know, where they can just really focus on the task at hand. Um, And another thing it does is that it makes, you know, these people report that it makes the exercise or sport feels so much more fun and enjoyable. And, um, you know, I interviewed um, the author of a new book called uh, Runner's High. His name is Josiah Hesse. And he was someone who hated exercise, never wanted to do it, you know, never voluntarily exercised a day in his life, he said, Um, you know, but decided he had to exercise, you know, to improve his health and just really like a lot of people hated running or doing anything exercise related. And then one day he took an edible and then went for a run. And he said it was one of the best experiences he ever had. It just right. running up a hill felt effortless. Um, it's now the highlight of his day. He said, it's like, you know, his cocktail and slippers at the end of the day doing a <laughs> edible um, <laughs> infused run. Um, and so, it, you know, that's also something that um, at least anecdotally researchers are finding is that um, people who do exercise and sports on marijuana, they say that it makes it more fun. It also makes the time, go by faster. If you're a oh, cyclist definitely. or a runner and you're doing, you know, a four hour run or, or bike ride, uh, supposedly one of the benefits that people say it goes by like that. And it just feels much more enjoyable as, as opposed to this long, hard, you know, slog. Anahad O'Connor, health reporter at the New York times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.